most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, May 2nd, 2022, the 467th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Before we get started on what is surely going to be another big news week, I want to begin the show by mentioning the great American patriot, Mike Lindell, and his great American company, MyPillow. Go to MyPillow.com, use the promo code REASONABLE, and get some stuff that will make your house and your bed and your life more comfortable. Get a mattress pad, some Giza Dream Sheets, some MyPillows, some towels, some slippers. That's my program, and it can be your program. MyPillow.com, up to 66% off all sorts of stuff on the site, you can get a free gift, Mike Lindell's autobiography. You'll be supporting this show. You'll be supporting Mike Lindell, and you'll be supporting a great American company, MyPillow, MyPillow.com, promo code REASONABLE. So let's get into it. And not to make a big thing of it, just want to put this in people's heads. The Biden administration is making a brand new push to pretend to pay off student loan debt. They want to make sure that young people aren't burdened with the debt from the student loans that they took on to go get a very valuable college degree. Now, I went and got a very valuable college degree. Have I used it? Well, sort of. I mean, the stuff I learned in college has definitely helped me in many ways throughout my life. And stuff I did in college has probably hurt me in many ways throughout my life. And I guess I'm glad I went, but it wasn't fun having to pay off college debt for like a decade plus, but I did it because it was my responsibility to do it. Then again, I didn't spend four years studying feminist dance therapy or environmental racism or how to create enough gender identities so that everyone would feel represented. And naturally they put one of their lead communist PR people out front on this issue, AOC said, maybe student loan forgiveness doesn't impact you. That doesn't make it bad. I'm sure there are certainly other things that student loan borrowers taxes pay for. We can do good things and reject the scarcity mindset that says doing something good for someone else comes at the cost of doing something for ourselves. And 
it is not surprising in any way that the communists wouldn't actually understand the principled problem behind what they're attempting to do. What they're attempting to do makes it clear to everyone that they are just trying to buy the votes of young people. The principal concern is that the rest of us worry that the college degree doesn't mean what it used to. And a college education, as we think of it, is not the college education that American students around the country are getting. The myth is that a college education is going to send the student out into the real world with the skills and experience to be able to get jobs that will provide them a better lifestyle than their parents' generation was capable of. And we've been told this for 50 or 60 years now as a country. And for a while, it was true. The economy was changing The world was becoming more technologically advanced and you needed specialized skills to be able to compete in the late 20th and early 21st century. We imagined that a college degree was an inherent good and that that was indisputable. We literally used the college degree as the proof that a person was educated And the lack of a college degree as the proof that a person is not educated, we found out that is completely wrong. I mean, I can only speak to my own experience and what I observe, but my four years in college, I went to a good school and at least in my philosophy major, probably less so in my business major, I was a double major, but in the philosophy major, we actually had a real educational environment where the open exchange of ideas was taking place on a regular basis in the classroom. And that's why I took the philosophy major. I was just choosing all my electives in philosophy and it became a major. That's the whole story. It's not interesting. Just want to be clear. But the education I've provided for myself in the last two years is light years beyond the education I was provided by a top-notch liberal arts college in the Northeast. So the value of college has declined consistently, not only in the job market, but also just the degree to which students are educated. Now, the only reason I bring this up is to make this point. What they are doing when they are saying that they're going to pay off everybody's student loan, they're admitting that the college degree no longer provides the benefit that it's intended to provide, that we are told it provides. You make the investment in your education, no matter what the price, even though the price has doubled or tripled in the last few decades, while the value of what you're paying for has diminished to almost nothing. But you make that investment with the expectation that you leave college and you get a job so good that you will be able to pay out of your largesse the loans that you have taken out, whether it's $20,000 or $40,000 or $200,000. But our own government is admitting that's not true. They're saying young people coming out of college today 
do not actually have the opportunity to go out and be gainfully employed in a way that will allow them to pay back their college debts. It is an admission that college for students is not worth it, but they still want to pay for it, which means that a student being educated in a college does have value, just not for the student. It has value for the government. That's why they want more people going. They want to make college free for everybody. Bernie Sanders. Oh, we're going to give you free community college. Well, he only went down to community college after he couldn't get free college for everyone everywhere. The fact that the government is admitting through their policy stance that college isn't worth it for you, but it is for them shows you pretty clearly that you are being trained at college to serve the government and you are being indoctrinated into a political ideology. That is where the value of college lies for them. It was supposed to be that you would come out with enough education, enough skills, and enough specialization to be able to perform a high-level job function that would be able to immediately earn you a living, but then down the line actually also build a career where you get more and more successful and you continue doing better and better each year forever. That's the American dream. But keep this example in your mind because it is a perfect example of what the value of something actually is. The government is telling you what the value is. That value is entirely different than the value you think you're getting out of that college education or that you think your kids are getting out of that college education. And how much else is like this? Well, pretty much all of it. The corrupt government in place now, the illegitimate government in place now, wants to spend American taxpayer money on a bunch of stuff that serves them and not you, specifically not you. They will sell it to you as though it's for your benefit. They're going to save the earth from the sun, for instance. They take all the money, they spend it on something they want. Where are all of these uneducated college students going to go? Where are they going to work after having been educated only in different Marxist doctrines? Well, they're going to be on the new IRS task force or perhaps the green energy task force, or maybe it's the environmental score police who go around and figure out who's not being good enough to the planet. Who's not helping to save the planet from the sun by eating bugs? Well, we better crack down on them. And they actually do have plans. I know I'm making this sound extreme, like I'm just making it up, like this is all a joke. No, they actually have these plans. These are employment plans for uneducated college graduates who have way too much debt. And they can't actually get any of these uneducated college students' debts paid off through that kind of employment because they're not going to pay them that much. So they're just going to cancel that debt, make them love their government even more, and maybe they'll serve their government until they die from vaccine-induced AIDS. Yeah, I said it. So the Ministry of Truth got together over the weekend at the White House Correspondents Association dinner, and Joe Biden 
laughed at the expense of American citizens who are suffering under the policies of the illegitimate regime and the fact that the illegitimate regime exists in the first place. But they all think it's very funny. Trevor Noah. Ha ha ha. What a funny guy. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because the White House Correspondents Association dinner is basically like a Hollywood awards show attended by a bunch of actors so untalented and unattractive that rather than getting parts in movies and TV shows, they get parts on a reality show called The News, where rather than performing parts of a dramatic story, pretending to be somebody else, they just lie the entire time about reality as themselves. And here is the kind of humor you get when you don't know anything true. Because you see, no, Trump said he won the election, but everyone was just able to look at the numbers and see that he was wrong. That's why Ron DeSantis is one step ahead. First, you ban the math textbooks. Then nobody knows how to count the votes. Boom. My man. Ha, ha, ha. Wow. Gosh, that is funny. Man, oh, man. So all you have to do to know that Joe Biden actually got 81 million real legal American votes is to look where it says Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes because it couldn't be wrong. All you have to do is look at the numbers. So Ron DeSantis being the better version of Trump, that's the premise of this joke. He's being extra smart by banning textbooks in Florida, math textbooks that are actually premised on racial and gender ideologies in the actual math problems so that it can't be avoided by any student. You have to bring race and gender into everything and probably environmental nonsense as well. They have to even be in math books. That's what DeSantis was going after, not the study of math, as Trevor Noah is falsely implying. Certainly, he knows what the actual problem was. He just doesn't believe it's a problem, A, because he's never looked at what people are actually saying, and B, because the party of false decorum says you cannot object to anything once we bring in race or gender or climate change. And we've got some others, but those are kind of the main ones, at least for math. But all of this is pretty incredible from not only the party that quite obviously stole the election and refuses to allow anyone to actually look. So sorry, Trevor, just looking at the numbers on the television isn't actually proof that Donald Trump lost. But this is also the party that literally, and I'm not making this up, a lot of people probably missed it, but it was huge on Twitter in the summer of 2020. There were actual race-based math professors around the country arguing that two plus two equals five in some sense, unless you only ascribe to white supremacist math, two plus two equals five. That's an actual joke from Orwell that you read when you're reading 1984 and you think no one would ever try that, but they did in 2020. And it was Trevor Noah's 
partners in this exact issue who tried doing that. They tried actually changing the definitions of math to benefit their racial ideological agenda. And then they stole the election. So not only are they the people who completely changed the math books to make math irrelevant and somehow subjective when math is what most of us consider, I think, to be one of the only objectively true things about our existence. But their goal is to detach us entirely from reality, to depend on experts all the time. And if some expert out there says that, no, two plus two is not four, it actually can be five sometimes if you think about race the right way. Well, then who are we to challenge him or her or Zer or they? And apparently, I don't know what to call two spirit people. So we can't challenge the experts because we have convinced ourselves that the experts are always right. If the experts are who we should always listen to, then we're just going to have to accept that there is a way in the world in which two plus two equals five and that math is only an element in a social hierarchy, in an intersectional social hierarchy. So math is not the same for everyone. And it's unfair to marginalized people to tell them that there's one right answer when it comes to math. To then go and connect the falsification of mathematical truth to counting the votes by the party that provably stole an election, well, that is bold. So the Ministry of Truth's PR division all got together to have a dinner. They gave each other awards. They pretended that they were all very famous. And to let you know how very famous they are, they paid Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson to show up to this dinner. As far as I know, they were the only celebrities there. Maybe there were other ones. But you got to understand this as well. And I know this as a fact from having worked in this world, literally did celebrity outreach for corporate events and corporate sponsorships, literally did social media management for celebrities. That is part of my professional background. Okay. People like Kim Kardashian do not show up to events without being paid. So someone from the White House Correspondents Association reached out to Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson's people, and their people are probably just Kim Kardashian and her people, and they negotiated a fee for the appearance of Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson at the White House Correspondents Association dinner. And that fee changes based on whether or not they take red carpet pictures, how long they stay at the event, etc. Because... Kim Kardashian appearing somewhere is Kim Kardashian's business and she doesn't do it for free. And there's no way in the world that she and Pete Davidson are prioritizing going to hang out with a bunch of failed F list actors who appear daily on CNN reality shows. For sure, they were paid to attend and they were probably paid hundreds of thousands if not over a million dollars to show up there. 
It's funny, too, because Breitbart had an expose on the White House Correspondents Association a few years ago in 2018. They found that 85 percent of the White House Correspondents Association's budget goes to this annual party. And the party costs over half a million dollars to throw. So this extravagant display of narcissism and incompetence, totally bereft of humor, is the public facing side of the Ministry of Truth. Last week, we found out about more of the back end of the Ministry of Truth. They have actually opened up a disinformation governance board within the Department of Homeland Security. They need an enforcement division for the Ministry of Truth because people are tuning out the mainstream media and they are finding ways to bypass the censorship regime. So all you have left is actual physical enforcement of the central narrative because without that, people will just run around believing anything they want just based on facts and evidence. And reason and intuition. And we can't have that. Everybody needs to believe the same thing. Everyone needs to be connected to the central narrative. We can't let them outside of the central narrative or else the central narrative itself will be threatened. And without the central narrative, people might wake up and realize that all of these people in power are not doing anything to benefit anyone else. In fact, they're stealing the elections to make sure that we have no recourse to hold these very same people accountable. So last week, the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, testified before the House and Senate. And that's how we came to find out about this Nina Jankowitz lady and the Disinformation Governance Board, the Ministry of Truth Enforcement Division. And that didn't go so well in a PR sense. So Mayorkas, who looks like a combination of Mini-Me and also Dr. Evil's hairless cat, went on the Sunday shows to try to fix the narrative for all of the child brains out there who still listen to people like Alejandro Mayorkas. This is from Fox News. Mayorkas admits he could have done a better job explaining the mission of the disinformation board. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said there's no question he could have more effectively communicated the purpose of his newly created disinformation board after critics framed it as a crackdown on free speech. Mayorkas said on Fox News Sunday that the Biden administration could have done a better job in communicating what it does. Mayorkas announced that the DHS created a disinformation governance board to combat online disinformation during his testimony Wednesday before the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Homeland Security. The goal is to bring the resources of DHS together to address this threat. He said during the hearing, adding that the department is focused on the spread of disinformation in minority communities ahead of the 2022 midterm elections. And that is the sort of public facing public relations concern you might have if you have been stealing the votes of black people for the last six decades or perhaps even more accurately stealing votes in general, and then ascribing all the votes 
that you stole to urban black Americans and Hispanic Americans. We are supposed to imagine there are massive populations of poor black and Hispanic people in every Democrat dark blue city. And that mass of poor black and Hispanic Americans will vote like 95%. The black voters, 95% for Democrats. Hispanics, awfully high for Democrats as well. And we're told this through exit polling and other polls. And this is how they explain to mainstream white America that the Democrats are actually a very powerful and legitimate political party. Now, they don't represent everywhere, certainly, but in those cities where all of the people live, oh, they just dominate. They blow out Republicans by millions and millions and millions of votes. Otherwise, if that didn't happen, there's no way that they would even win the popular vote in elections. And they can't have that. Then the people would know that the entire Democrat platform is actually repulsive to almost all sane Americans. So they tell us election after election, hey, it happened again. We won the elections in urban centers all on the backs of poor black and Hispanic voters. And they turned out in such incredible numbers. Even more voters than registered voters. It's amazing. But the thing is, the entire Democrat theory of the case in terms of how Democrats get elected goes up in smoke if they lose black Americans and Hispanic Americans, which they are doing now very publicly. And the polling suggests that's happening on as large a scale as we've ever seen. So what they need to do is make sure that the messaging can be controlled for those same black voters, because we don't want the American public at large to understand that black voters and Hispanic voters are also repulsed by the Democrat Communist Party's platform. Mayorkas explained Sunday that the board specifically addresses disinformation that presents a security threat to the homeland. So black people getting the wrong idea about the midterms, according to the Democrat Communist Party, presents a security threat to the homeland. That's what we're being told. We're also being told that the information they're concerned about black voters being exposed to is disinformation. So they're primarily concerned about black voters being particularly susceptible in some way to disinformation. Now, why would that be? I mean, aren't all voters equally susceptible to disinformation? I mean, we're all thinking humans with comparable brains and abilities, aren't we? It's hard to tell where the Democrat Communist Party stands on that. I mean, sure, they were the party of slavery, the party of the Civil War, the party of the KKK, and the party who filibustered the Civil Rights Act. And they're the party that just elected a guy who was mentored by an actual Klan leader, the guy who wrote the 90s crime bill, and a guy who said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. They elected that guy to solve racism. 
because apparently posting the black square on Instagram didn't get it done. So, yeah, it's really confusing why they think that black Americans are particularly susceptible to disinformation and that black Americans choosing to vote in some other way than they have historically, we're told, is a threat to national security. Black people making the wrong decision in a polling booth is a threat to national security. That is what we are being told by the fake administration. Disinformation from Russia, from China, from Iran, from the cartels, he said. Oh, man, oh, man. He just lists all the scary things. There could be disinformation coming in from anywhere. Thank goodness we're here to save you from disinformation. Let's have the crazy lady who sings songs about having sex with a teenage wizard decide what black Americans are allowed to hear or not hear about American politics. Don't worry. It's for your own safety. This is a working group that takes best practices to make sure that in addressing disinformation that presents a threat to the homeland, our work does not infringe on free speech, does not infringe on civil rights, civil liberties. He continued, it's not about speech. It's about the connectivity to violence. That is what we need to address. You know, an individual has the free speech right to spew anti-Semitic rhetoric. What they don't have the right to do is take hostages in a synagogue. And that's where we get involved. So you see all the violence, all the bad in the world is a product of free speech, at least when it's not a product of guns. But don't worry, after they undo the Bill of Rights, then you will really be free. People just don't realize how much they are constrained in their ability to express their freedom by the Bill of Rights. And the only way to fix it is to erect an entire bureaucracy to make sure that no one can ever find out about the Bill of Rights ever again. Mayorkas said he had full faith in the objectivity of Nina Jankowitz, the board's executive director, who faced backlash this week for past tweets about the Hunter Biden laptop story and Christopher Steele's debunked dossier. Well, there's actually a lot more to criticize than just that, but okay. I don't question her objectivity, Mayorkas said Sunday. There are people in the department who have a diverse range of views, and they're incredibly dedicated to the mission. We are not the opinion police. She has testified before Congress a number of times. She's recognized as a tremendous authority, and we're very fortunate to have her. And so a lot of that was just slogan repeating, of course. I mean, Alejandro Mayorkas is not some kind of independent thinker. He's appearing on television to make people believe that the problem is actually something other than it is. The problem is that the illegitimate administration is trying to erect a disinformation governance board, an Orwellian ministry of truth in direct opposition to the First Amendment. That's the real problem. But how do you get the real problem to go away without fixing the real problem? 
Well, you send Alejandro Mayorkas out onto television and you have him admit responsibility with the understanding that the American public really dislikes the thing he just did. But he's not going to supply principled understanding on what people are actually upset about. He's going to gaslight the American public and tell them that he understands why their miscommunication about what they're actually doing is upsetting people. You see, they could have explained better. That construction says that actually all of these problems that have been raised are your fault. You didn't get what we're actually trying to do. If you understood us, you wouldn't be upset. And hey, if you were upset after understanding us, well, you know, if you tell anybody you're spreading disinformation and it turns out there are penalties for that now. But let's forget about that because the truth is you did misunderstand us. And the reason I'm sorry to say is that you're too stupid to understand what the illegitimate administration is actually doing. They're trying to make everything safe and perfect. It's going to be utopia if you just give us additional time and additional power. And if you stop being so stupid, I mean, gosh, why is everyone always objecting to us fixing everything? The ministry of truth is actually a good thing. Do you want black Americans to vote against the Democratic Party? Of course not. So you need to agree that we need to protect them from hearing the wrong things. And of course, they also said that they were going to attack misinformation about the border crisis and about Russia, Ukraine. But that's only to keep illegal immigrants safe and the most corrupt globalist empire in the world safe. It's all about safety. And if you don't share our priorities, it's because you misunderstood. And that is always what they say. We should have communicated that better. Well, you know, we really would have been well served by providing more context. Remember a few months ago when Joe Biden's poll numbers were sliding down that same cliff, they're still sliding down. But this is closer to the beginning of that. Jen Psaki and the rest of the fake administration went out there and said, what we actually need to do is to get Joe Biden out more. We need to send him around the country so that he can actually explain how great the administration really is doing. You didn't see what you saw. You didn't hear what you heard. You didn't read what you read and you didn't experience what you think you experienced. You just simply misunderstood because you have a tendency to misunderstand things. The gaslighting is the goal. They are trying to detach you from any principle. They want you always in doubt about everything. You're either on their side of the issue or you are going to be in doubt all the time about your standing in the world, about whether or not you're insane, about whether or not the reality that you are perceiving around you even exists. That is exactly what they want. That is the purpose of the propaganda. It is the purpose of the censorship regime. And enforcing that is the purpose of the disinformation governance board beneath the Department of Homeland Security. Now, I said that the Ministry of Truth was 
going to be focused. One of their focuses would be on the Russia Ukraine situation, the paradise of disinformation in this world right now. There's an article out from Breitbart yesterday, United States military training Ukrainian soldiers in Germany, Pentagon admits. And you have to love when they admit things. It was something that some people knew and said and shared a few weeks ago or a few months ago or a few years ago. Now it's real. Back then, it was a conspiracy theory. Back then, it was disinformation. But once they admit it, then it's real. Then people can talk about it. But don't talk about it too much. Otherwise, it becomes disinformation again. We admit it. Now that we've admitted it, the whole issue is moot. American armed forces have begun training Ukrainian soldiers to use advanced weapon systems in Germany. The Pentagon revealed on Friday. In a Washington press briefing, Pentagon Press Secretary John F. Kirby said that the United States had come to an agreement with Germany to begin training programs for Ukrainian soldiers. The Florida National Guard has been tasked with the bulk of the training, which will show a group of Ukrainian troops how to use advanced weapons such as howitzers, radar systems and armored vehicles. Today, I can announce that the United States has commenced training with the Ukrainian armed forces on key systems at U.S. military installations in Germany. Now, these efforts build on the initial artillery training that Ukraine's forces have already received elsewhere and also includes training on the radar systems and armored vehicles that have been recently announced as part of security assistance packages, Kirby said. And that's good that they've found all of these extra Ukrainian soldiers that they can move to Germany for training. Apparently, they're not needed to actually fight Russia in Ukraine. We have Malcolm Nance over there doing that in one of the many foreign legions that are not just military contractors and international mercenaries supporting legitimate Nazi battalions. That's not what the situation is at all. Ukraine has this massive army, even though, even though you got to understand Ukraine's army is massive. It is very brave, very competent. In fact, they have caused the Russians to fail in their entire mission this whole time. As long as we completely reinterpret what Putin's goals were, Russia has failed. The Ukrainian military has thwarted him. Yes, the comedic actor gave 10,000 Ukrainian citizens weapons to help support this incredible, huge, domineering military that has thwarted the Russians to this point. Those 10,000 civilians are now basically just SEAL Team 6, so they're going to hold things down while other parts of the Ukrainian military go to Germany to train on advanced weapons systems. And none of them are Nazis, none of them are foreign legions, none of them are military contractors, none of them are foreign mercenaries. It's just the Ukrainian army being trained by the U.S. Army in Germany. The Ukrainians are so brave. And so skilled with the 10,000 weapons from the comedic actor that they can keep fending off Russia for as long as necessary with only like half of their forces. The other half, we can just send them to Germany. 
This new training effort in Germany and at other locations in Europe is in direct support of recent U.S. security assistance packages that are designed to help Ukraine win their battles today and build strength for tomorrow. These new systems and the associated training will strengthen Ukraine's ability to counter Russia's renewed offensive in eastern Ukraine. The Pentagon spokesman continued. This week, President Joe Biden called on Congress to approve a further round of military aid to be sent to Ukraine, requesting another $33 billion on top of the $13.6 billion sent to the Eastern European nation in March. Basically, we're out of money, the president said. So I know that math is subjective now, but based on the old math, that sounds around about like $46 billion going to Ukraine and then disappearing, by the way. We already know that they aren't tracking where the weapons we send go. There's no reason to believe that they're tracking where the money we send goes. But $46 billion is also just about the number that Elon Musk arrived at for his offer on Twitter. A number, by the way, that people got really upset about on Twitter. They started going off. All the communists were like, you can pay $46 billion for our information Death Star weapon but you can't pay $46 billion to send us to college for free or feed everybody. You white supremacist. Okay, Kami, go with that. I guess. I mean, you are the one encouraging the expenditure of $46 billion to go to aiding an effort that is being led militarily by actual Nazis. But all right, Elon Musk is the problem. Mr. Biden previously drew controversy over remarks to U.S. soldiers in Poland suggesting that they would be entering the field of battle in Ukraine. You're going to see when you're there and some of you have been there, you're going to see women, young people standing in front of a damn tank, Biden said during a March visit with the 82nd Airborne Division stationed in the Polish city of a Polish word I can't read. Reszow? It's the best I'm going to do. And if you remember, this was the trip where Joe Biden nearly choked on a piece of pizza while trying to be chummy with the soldiers who looked at him like he was nuts and did not stand when he entered the room. The 79-year-old Democrat later tried to say that he was merely talking about American troops training Ukrainians in Poland. However, the White House was forced to walk back this as well, as it would have been seen as a major escalation in what has become a proxy war between Western powers and the Russian Federation. A White House spokesman later said that Ukrainian soldiers were merely interacting with American troops in Poland. You got that? The administration wanted to make it clear after Joe Biden had messed up on multiple levels the administration, the fake administration for PR wanted to make it clear that the U.S. was not training Ukrainian soldiers in Poland because it would be bad if that sort of information got out. It might be looked at as an act of war. Vladimir Putin might not look too kindly on it. 
On Friday, the top Pentagon spokesman said that U.S. troops are currently training Ukrainian forces in roughly three locations, but would only confirm the German site as he claimed he was not at liberty to disclose the other training locations. The announcement from Kirby comes as German lawmakers approved a measure to send heavy weapons and complex systems to Ukraine after previously showing reticence to send significant arms to the country, with many pointing to Germany's heavy reliance on Russian energy for its hesitancy to appear involved in the war. In 2020, former U.S. President Donald Trump had attempted to conduct a drawdown of American troops on the ground in Germany, a holdover from the Second World War and subsequent Cold War over the country's consistent failure to meet its NATO spending while sending billions to Moscow for Russian gas. However, upon assuming control of the White House, President Joe Biden reversed the troop reduction and instead actually decided to bolster America's military footprint in Germany, sending an additional 7,000 soldiers to the leading European Union member state in February. So let's break this down just a little bit. Kirby is saying that this is a new training effort inside Germany that was begun after the recent security assistance packages had been passed. This is a new effort. They are just telling you about it now because it just started right now. And you have to believe the Pentagon about this, even though they're not going to tell you the two other places in Europe where Ukrainian troops, in quotes, are being trained by Americans. And you have to believe the Pentagon about this, even though we have already seen the fake administration try to wind back prior information about exactly the same thing. We are supposed to believe this is brand new and everything about it is just fine, even though a month or so ago, it wasn't just fine when Poland was the country being discussed. Now, why would the Pentagon send John Kirby out there to admit that the U.S. has been training Ukrainian troops in Germany? Well, this could be part of the answer. This is from Zeit Online, a German language, German news site. This is translated through Google Translate, and I want to share this article with you. Expert opinion sees training of Ukrainian soldiers as participation in the war. The training of Ukrainian soldiers, which is already taking place on German soil, can represent participation in the war by the West under international law. This emerges from a report by the Scientific Service of the Bundestag, which is available to the editorial network Germany, RND. Accordingly, there is a consensus that Western arms deliveries are not considered entry into war under international law as long as one does not take part in combat operations. However, it goes on to say only if, in addition to the supply of weapons, the instruction of the conflict party or training in such weapons were also an issue, would one leave the secure area of non-warfare? The legal status of non-warfare has replaced traditional neutrality in international legal practice in recent decades. According to the report, this enables the states under attack, such as Ukraine at the moment, to be supported with arms deliveries and money. So basically, the claim there is that actually international laws have changed to allow this sort of thing, these arms deals, 
but only if the country making these deals is not also supplying instruction and training, because then you might leave the secure area of non-warfare. What you're doing could be looked at as an act of war. Despite these assessments, the federal government continues to assume that under international law, Germany will not become a party to the war by training Ukrainian soldiers. The federal government is aware of the report by the scientific service, said government spokesman Stefan Hebstreet. It is clear to everyone that one finds oneself again and again in a difficult balance. We are convinced that the training of Ukrainian soldiers in Germany on weapon systems still does not mean direct entry into the war. The 12 page report by the scientific service, which is intended to provide neutral advice to members of the Bundestag is entitled legal issues relating to military support for Ukraine by NATO states between neutrality and participation in the conflict. It was created in March before the decision by the federal government and Bundestag to deliver German tanks directly to Ukraine and at the same time to train Ukrainian soldiers on Western weapons. The U.S. Department of Defense announced Friday that the U.S. military is already training Ukrainian soldiers on weapon systems at U.S. bases in Germany. The Bundeswehr and the Netherlands also take part in this training. The left criticized this in the Bundestag as German entry into the Ukraine war. The traffic light coalition and the union have made Germany an active war party with their Bundestag decision to deliver heavy weapons to Ukraine and also to train Ukrainian soldiers in Germany or on NATO territory, said Zaklin Nastich Lincoln, chairman of the defense committee, the RND. The federal government is exposing the whole of Europe to a completely uncontrollable danger, which in the worst case could end in nuclear war. So a report from the German legislative branch, the Bundestag, sounds the alarm that according to an international law, what's happening right now in Germany by the United States in Germany can be viewed as an act of of war. They are participating in the war by training the Ukrainian soldiers there on the weapons they're supplying. It was true before the training began or people found out about the training. And it was certainly true before Friday when John Kirby finally admitted it. Now, why did he come out and admit that on Friday? That's the question. And it's becoming quite clear that the West, the United States, the EU, the NATO allies cannot keep pretending for much longer that they're not actively participating in a war of choice against Russia and the Russian people. And by the way, it's fine to say that Russia is also engaged in a war of choice. I'm not sure that's actually accurate, but it's an open question. But it's pretty clear that from Russia's perspective, they don't consider it a war of choice. They're going to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. Get rid of U.S. funded biolabs there that are working on biological weapons and win the independence for regions of eastern Ukraine who have been embattled for the last eight years after the West overthrew Ukraine's government 
and began a civil war against ethnic Russians in eastern Ukraine. Now, you don't have to accept that logic, but that is their logic. And on that logic, they can reasonably argue that this is not a war of choice. They had to do something. Take it or leave it. The United States does not have any sort of argument like that, and they no longer even try to make one. First, they were preserving the sovereign borders of Ukraine. Then they were just protecting the American people. Then they decided that they need to decimate Russia's army. They need to weaken Russia's forces so that they can't threaten other parts of Europe, even though Russia has given no indication of wanting to do that. And now we just have to accept that we have engaged in an undeclared proxy war where we will sign blank checks to whichever one of the global communist powers currently needs money. The American taxpayer will be further enslaved to enable that because, of course, all of this money is coming directly from debt from the central banks and each and every American citizen is being put on the hook for all of it. This is from Real Clear Politics yesterday. This is a pretty incredible opinion piece written by a man named Charles Lipson who is a professor of political science at the University of Chicago. Slowly, slowly, the United States has expanded its war aims in Ukraine and significantly altered its pipeline of military supplies. Those two changes are mutually reinforcing. The U.S. is finally sending Ukraine the heavy weapons it needs because the Biden administration has finally decided it wants Ukraine to win. And the Russian army to suffer losses so drastic, it will not threaten other Western countries. That is our new position. Not Ukraine's sovereign borders, not the Ukrainian people, all the brave citizens that the comedic actor has armed. Now it is just proxy war to hurt Russia. That is what we are proactively deciding. America will go to war to hurt Russia. Highlighting these changes is not meant to downplay the support America has already given Ukraine. Biden's team has done a lot, not nearly as much as Volodymyr Zelensky wanted, but a lot. Biden and his administration forged a coalition of NATO partners, provided Ukraine real time intelligence about Russian forces and shipped huge quantities of light weapons and ammunition. Those supplies were critical in protecting Kiev. And to believe that you have to assume that the television was correct when they said Vladimir Putin was going to try to sack Kiev at the end of February. It has been over two months and that has not even been attempted. And since it hasn't been attempted after they told you it would be, that means that Ukraine was successful in thwarting Putin. Still, the U.S. and its NATO partners could have done much more. They did too little to deter an invasion when they could have prepared for it by training and equipping Ukrainian forces on NATO standard equipment. You got that? Ukraine is not a part of NATO. Ukraine doesn't pay for NATO. Ukraine is not by any standard our ally. But we should have been training them as if they were a part of NATO for all this time, despite the fact that they have formal regiments of their military that are explicitly Nazi. As the invasion loomed, 
They delayed sending military equipment because the CIA predicted that Russia would win quickly and capture those supplies. After Ukraine fended off the Russian attack on Kyiv, the U.S. rejected Zelensky's urgent requests for heavy weapons, including artillery, long-range drones, cruise missiles, planes, and anti-aircraft batteries. It is still wisely refusing to insert Western troops and air power into combat, fearing that could provoke a wider conflict with Russia. Yeah, you got that? None of the other stuff matters. Sending billions of dollars of supplies into Ukraine where Russia will simply blow them up so that the military industrial complex has to recreate them. That's not an act of war. Putting Western troops on the ground might be. So thank goodness we're not doing that. I mean, aside from the military contractors, the foreign legions, and the mercenaries being paid to come in and fight alongside Ukrainian Nazis. Nor had the U.S. endorsed Ukraine's principal war aim to defeat Russia and recover as much territory as possible. All that changed over the past week. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin went even further. In a dramatic announcement, he said the U.S. wanted to weaken Russia. Biden was reluctant to embrace these larger aims for two sound reasons, prudence and coalition building. But those go right out the window. The prudential calculation is that Russia wields nuclear weapons and, unlike NATO, has a combat doctrine that includes their battlefield use. Second, Biden wanted to confront Russia with a united front of NATO partners, far different from George W. Bush's coalition of the willing. Forging that coalition was difficult because many of these partners rely on Russian energy, conduct a lot of bilateral commerce, and until March, pursued conciliatory foreign policies. Overcoming these obstacles is what makes Biden's multilateral success so noteworthy. That success has three consequences. It will increase Ukraine's military sources. I think he means resources deny Putin his aim of fracturing NATO and allow Biden to differentiate his alliance policies from the unilateralism of Donald Trump and George W. Bush. And man, I'll tell you what, those three objectives are totally worth committing the United States to open warfare in a foreign land, in a non-allied country for decades, according to Charles Lipson, at least. Why this change in U.S. policy? Why this new commitment to Ukrainian victory? The primary drivers are the following. The likelihood that the battle for eastern Ukraine will be decisive and will require heavy weapons. Okay, well, yeah, maybe it will be decisive. Certainly not on Ukraine's behalf. There is absolutely no reason to believe that is even possible. Fear that a victorious Russia would not stop at Ukraine's borders. Oh, the fear you made up, like the fear of Putin immediately sacking Kiev, even though there was no indication ever that he was going to do it. They just make up these fears and then commit the country to never ending war to make sure those fears never come to pass. And through committing the country to never ending war, they can claim success based on however much they fulfill that goal. Horror at Russia's deliberate murder of vast numbers of Ukrainian civilians. Okay, none of those primary drivers can be proven legitimate in the real world. You can, however, prove that Ukrainian Nazis are slaughtering Ukrainian citizens 
particularly the ethnic Russians who are Ukrainian citizens. And you can prove that they are holding themselves up in hospitals and schools. And you can prove that they are using innocent civilians as human shields. For two months now, Russia's wanton killing and destruction has been captured by cell phones, cameras, drones, and satellites, and then broadcast to Western audiences. You know, once they are filtered down for the proper message so that nobody gets misinformed. Everything must be filtered before it's broadcast to Western audiences. The reaction can be summed up in a single word, revulsion. Ah, gosh, what an inspiring writer Charles Lipson is. Honestly, what a clown. This guy is so stupid. I cannot believe that we continue to pretend these people are experts at anything except for justifying and rationalizing terrible, immoral, evil ideas with complicated and convoluted rationale. The scale and visibility of these attacks have made it far easier to form an anti-Russian coalition and to send Ukraine the heavy weapons it needs. The scale and visibility of these attacks. You got that? He's declaring that now we have shown you enough atrocities that we attribute to Russians so that you will do whatever we say. Now, was most of it totally fake? Yes. Can we prove that most of it was totally fake? Absolutely. And has the U.S. military industrial complex and intel community admitted that most of it was fake? A hundred percent. We just heard that from NBC News and Kendallanian a few weeks ago. They said that the U.S. intel community was propagating false intelligence to get Russia to not do things and then claiming that this intel operation that they carried out to deliberately deceive the American public, right? This propaganda is not tricking the Russian military. So the goal is to deceive the American public. And then when Russia doesn't do the thing that the fake intel said Russia would do, well, that's a great success. These weapons are late in coming, but they are finally arriving. America's slow recognition of a major security threat is hardly unique to the Biden administration. It is a recurrent pattern in U.S. foreign policy. For all the criticism of America's preemptive wars or imperial overreach in places like Vietnam, the U.S. also has an opposing tradition of reticence, withdrawal and isolation. That is how America reacted or rather failed to react to Europe's rampant fascism in the late 1930s. The U.S. did nothing as the Nazis seized territory and then launched full scale war, first against Poland and then against France, Britain and Russia. Nor did America seriously challenge Imperial Japan in the 1930s as its war machine gobbled up territory on the Asian mainland. The vast reaches of the Pacific Ocean would keep us safe, or so we thought. See that? It was a, it was a mistake to react so late to Nazism in the 1930s. Now what we have to do is react early and support it. Even after Pearl Harbor, there was little American appetite for entering the European theater of the war. A reluctance made moot when Hitler declared war on the United States. By then, 
The war in Europe had been killing millions and destroying countries for over two years. The Soviet army was locked in a life and death battle with the Wehrmacht at Stalingrad. And Japan had already occupied Korea, Manchuria and the Chinese coast. After the war, the U.S. was slow to recognize the Soviet threat. Our erstwhile ally had unexpectedly become our greatest enemy. <laughs> Amazing how that happens. America's response was tardy for several reasons. Geographic distance, misplaced hopes for cooperation and domestic pressures to return home and demobilize. The U.S. sent almost all its soldiers and sailors home within 18 months, ending its wartime intelligence service and waited two years before announcing the Marshall Plan to deal with Western Europe's dire poverty and growing communist parties. It didn't form NATO until 1949, well after the Soviet Union had solidified its control of Eastern Europe. It built so few armaments in those years that it fought the Korean War with leftover equipment from World War II. And he's probably right. We were too busy figuring out ways to explain why we imported Nazis into, you know, organizations like NASA. This slow reaction to emerging threats is grounded in America's sense that it is basically safe, that the world is seldom very threatening, at least to America, and that most conflicts are far distant from our shores and our concerns. This deep-seated, romantic, and optimistic view is not an excuse for serious policy mistakes, but it does help us understand them. Those mistakes have piled up in recent years. They include the Biden administration's botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. President Trump's inward looking nationalism and scorn for alliances. You got that? The great foreign policy mistake is that Donald Trump didn't kiss NATO's ass enough. Barack Obama's decision to gut the defense budget, his failure to enforce his own red line in Syria, and his mocking the very idea expressed by challenger Mitt Romney that Russia posed any real threat. George W. Bush's misplaced confidence that Iraqis would greet Americans as liberators and that they wanted a democracy like ours. And Bill Clinton's now dashed hope that expanding NATO membership wouldn't challenge Russia and that welcoming China into the World Trade Organization would lead the communist regime to liberalize its governance and perhaps democratize as the country grew wealthier. So you got that? They, they all make mistakes. Donald Trump's mistake was not being a globalist. I mean, everybody else made actual mistakes that killed actual people that drained America of its blood and treasure that empowered our adversaries. But Donald Trump, he was the worst because he wasn't a globalist. Why recall those mistakes to learn from them? The war in Ukraine should teach us the hard lesson that Putin's Russia will use military force and economic coercion to overturn the post-Soviet order in Europe. Likewise, China is determined to reorder Asia's security at its neighbor's expense and play by its own rules in the world economy. Iran has exploited America's exhaustion, whatever that is, and Saudi Arabia's weakness to extend its regional domination and pursue nuclear weapons in coordination with the globalists he supports. That's very strange, isn't it? And it's amazing that Russia is condemned for its use of military force and economic coercion while our own fake administration was bragging to all of us. The entire Western alliance was bragging to citizens across the world that the sanctions would deter Russia. And that even if they didn't, 
at least they would destroy the Russian economy. You see, it's good when we do it. It's good when we do it. America needs to confront these threats for its own security without overreaching or making unsustainable commitments. That means increasing our defense budget and backing allies in Eastern Europe, the Indo-Pacific and the Middle East. Oh, just that little project. It means confronting our comfortable assumption that as Americans, we are immune from foreign threats because they are so distant and we are so big, rich and powerful. The world's most malevolent actors are determined to show us just how wrong that assumption is. And I think he's probably right about that part. I'm just a bit confused about why he doesn't perceive himself as one of the world's most malevolent actors when clearly he is. This is nothing but warmongering. And the factual inaccuracies of this editorial are stunning. They're unbelievable. But it's not disinformation, you see. Because rather than opposing the central narrative, this war effort supports it. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!